When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Billy Hallowell has been working in journalism and media for more than two decades. His writings, his interviews, his social commentary, they've appeared in the Deseret News, The Blaze, Human Events, Mediaite, and FoxNews.com. He's also served as the faith and culture editor of The Blaze, the senior editor of Faithwire, and he's written four books. And today, we're going to dive in deep to one of them. Billy, thanks so much for joining us on Takeaways. Hey, thanks for having me. Billy, we've known each other for a while and it's great to flip the script where, where I'm actually asking you questions instead of you asking me questions. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice role reversal. It's strange, but it's nice. Billy, you wrote a book recently that's called Playing With Fire, a modern investigation into demons, exorcism, and ghosts. Has anyone ever asked you why you decided to play with fire by diving into a topic like this? You know, I will tell you, yes, they have. And if you had told me two and a half years ago that we'd be sitting here right now and I would be talking to you about a book on this topic that I wrote, I would have laughed at you and said that you were crazy. And yet, you know, here we are talking about it. I felt God, you know, as a short answer, just really pushing me toward it. And I got to tell you, I also had this conviction of sort of watching Hollywood, looking at all of these movies that have been coming out. I mean, you know this, Halloween every year, there's 12 movies about possession and ghosts. And this whole demonic realm has been getting tackled so much in Hollywood that I actually feel like there are some, I'm going to say this with caution, but there are some places in Hollywood that are actually talking more about a church topic than some churches are. Now, they're not doing it in the right way but the frequency of which is a little bit more in Hollywood, and that, that concerned me. I, I think that's actually really insightful. What better place to talk about demons, ghosts, the spirit world, spiritual warfare, than right here on Takeaways on TVN? So, uh, Billy, wh why do you think that Hollywood is so obsessed with graveyards and ghosts and making classic movies like The Exorcist? What is it about this whole subject that has people uh, in its grip. You know, there's there's an intrigue with this topic because I think people inherently know that there's something more to this life. Whether or not they're Christians or not, they know. And what's so interesting about this, when you draw a graph and you look at the mm -hmm. increase of Hollywood's focus on this, it's been exponentially increasing the number of movies they're putting out. At the same time, fewer people are calling themselves Christian. You're having this cultural sort of disarray going on, but yet people are interested in these topics. So I think there's a natural curiosity there. And I think a lot of that is actually inherent as human beings. We want answers to these things. And there's also the facet of people just wanting to be afraid and wanting to be scared. And that's actually one of the biggest problems with how Hollywood frames most of this is that it leaves you afraid and terrified. It doesn't actually bring you back to the hope that we would actually find as Christians when we look at this topic and fully understand it. That's really interesting. Do you think that maybe because God made us as not only physical beings, but beings with a spirit, that we were made to worship and we were made to interact with God who is a spirit and doesn't have a body like ours, as the Bible says, that if somebody doesn't know God, 
that perhaps there's just this instinctual desire to connect with the spirit world because we are partially made of spirit. You have people so desperate for identity, so desperate to fill that void, and that's a void that we would all have if we don't turn toward the Lord because, right. as you said, he made us for that connection, that they're turning to all these strange places to try to find it. Ironically and interestingly, one of the big places people are turning is to these spiritual practices. A lot of young people, like tarot cards and all this you know, other stuff, they're turning to that because they're so desperate to find that. But yes, I think that is behind a lot of this, that we want to understand these topics. But I will also tell you, when you go out and you ask the American public, do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe in demons? Half of the country is saying yes. And a lot of these people are not legitimate Christians who are saying this. So there is something out there. People know it. They sense it regardless of what their worldview is. The Bible says that we were made for worship and that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that kind of fear is this, this, this being blown away by the power and the majesty and the goodness and the grace of God, this reverential awe. But some people don't have the fear of the Lord. They have the fear of the devil. They got, they got the fear of demons and ghosts. And some people want to avoid the subject like the plague. Don't talk to me about that stuff. It scares me too much, right? They check in underneath their bed and in their closet every single night. Billy, I love that you took an investigative journalist's approach into this subject, right? So this is not a theological approach uh, by a pastor. This isn't something you went to school for. You're, you're, you put on your, your private investigator hat and you went in and began learning about these things from others who have spent lots of time there or have personal experiences. What did that look like? Who did you talk to? Yeah, that, that was a really interesting process because you're sort of looking at individual circumstances, individual events, because I'm a big, I'm a big facts person, right? So I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian my whole life, but I want you to prove to me, if you're telling me you experienced this thing, well, prove it to me. And that's just how I am. As, as a trained journalist, that's how I think. And so I'm not going to just believe something because somebody told me. And at the same time, I want to understand, you know, this topic. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're, you're, you're saying that your journalism needs to be built on facts? That's not the way journalism works today. <laughs> I'm sorry. That go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I had to throw that in. No, there. I mean, I think that's a great, a great point you made there. But no, it's true. I mean, I think a lot of the times we sort of come at things with our own biases. And so I started going to people who deal with this on a daily basis. I talked with pastors, some well-known names. I talked to Samuel Rodriguez. And then I also talked to people like Chad Norris, who might not be as big of names, but these are people who have traveled the world. They have seen the demonic unfold in different areas. And I was able to sort of talk with them about their experience and trying to bring that all together so that I could actually have an explainer that I could present to people to give a good solid overview of the topic. And in the midst of all of this investigating and gleaning all of this new information from people, was there anything that surprised you? Did you learn something that you, you didn't know before? You know, I did. I learned a lot of things that I didn't know before. And I have to be honest with you, there were a number of stories that really left me thinking, oh my goodness, these people presented data and information that is documented and that it's hard for me to dismiss and say, oh, that didn't happen, or oh, they were crazy, or oh, maybe it was something else. I mean, there were a number of cases where I talked to numerous people who were corroborating things they had seen, and that, to me, was incredibly shocking. Yeah, you know, I have a chihuahua at home that I'm pretty sure is demon-possessed, 
Um, <laughs> That's a given. Yeah, my, That's my wife, given. My wife really... says no, but I don't know. I've, I've got some proof. I've got it on video. What do you think are some of the misconceptions with regard to what the Bible says about Satan, about the devil, about spirits, about demons, based on your research? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question. Uh, there's this assumption that every single person who's dealing with something and they think they're possessed that there's a demon involved in it, right? This goes back to sort of the demon under every rock. But also, one of the things that really um, stuck out to me, you know, we will say a lot of different things about what causes, you know, possession or oppression. Um, and we can get into breaking some of that apart and the differences. But, you know, one of the most shocking elements of looking at all the cases of possession in the Bible that we encounter, where especially where Jesus is going in and he's, per, he's performing what, you know, the world would call exorcisms on these people and healing them, we don't know how they got in that state. We end up meeting these people on their journey when they're already possessed. And that, to me, I had never thought about that before because I hadn't really thought deeply before writing the book about a lot of these topics, but gosh, how did they end up there, right? We just kind of meet them there. And that feels like it's another thing that's sort of by design in how those stories are recounted to us. So that's intriguing to me. I can picture myself sitting around my campfire in my backyard with a bunch of kids around there and, and then saying to me, tell, you know, Uncle Kirk, tell us a ghost story. Tell, tell us a scary story. And, and there's something about those kinds of things where people love to be scared, as you, as you said earlier. Does the Bible speak about ghosts, per se? I do not believe, and I know there are Christians who do, that people die and remain behind and haunt. Yeah, like a, haunt, like a haunted start, house, right? Like there's yeah, like, like I mean, I just, the grandma who's yeah. still uh, somehow watching from between the boards and the walls. Yeah, and in fact, I think that when people walk around and sort of think that, that it actually conceals the real issue that's going on. I mean, when you talk about Ouija boards and all these other tools that people try to use to communicate with the dead they really believe they're communicating with the dead. When you dive into that, what a lot of experts will tell you is, no, you're actually communicating with the, the, the demonic. You're communicating with the spiritual realm that wants you to mm. believe that. Now, I get into that in the book because it's very that was very interesting to me to sort of hear about the deception that some of these people have encountered in the work they've done as faith leaders, sort of seeing that play out. But my belief had always been no, that's not the case. And when you look at scripture, because that needs to be our barometer, right? We need to go back to the Bible. There are no, there are some interesting examples of things happening in the Bible, but there aren't examples of people dying and remaining back, back to haunt. You have, you know, Saul in the Old Testament summonsing Samuel, you know, going to the uh, the medium and and basically saying, look, I need you to bring him to me, and and you have that happen. But that's an interesting event because it's clear that God allowed that to happen. It doesn't seem to be an event of somebody remaining behind at all and haunting. It's a vision or an appearance. Um, of Samuel. So I wouldn't count that. You have the it really interesting, and I've heard it described as a zombie-like event, um, which I don't know if that's the best descriptor, but I had missed this. But after Jesus, you know, dies on the cross and after he, uh, after his death, you have all these people coming out of their tombs and going into Jerusalem and, and witnessing and talking to people. But that's not haunting. It's a really fascinating event. So you don't have, the short answer is we don't have any scriptural evidence of hauntings the way the world would recount them. Although there is an interesting passage in uh, Matthew chapter 14 and Luke 24, where the disciples actually mistake the resurrected Jesus yeah. for a ghost. And that's interesting. Why do you think they would have thought he was a ghost? 
I think that's really interesting. And I actually write about this in the book. There, some, some translations will use the word spirit. You'd have to go back to the original language. But you know, for me, in, in my mind, I think this idea of ghosts has been with us since the beginning of time because the demonic has been with us, right? So the idea that people believed then that ghosts could be deceased people wouldn't shock me at all. I don't think it's something that rocks the ideology that that doesn't exist if you want to hold on to the fact that it doesn't. But it is interesting, and I think it's worth exploring. And if we're going to look at the facts, again, they do say that. And obviously, it's just Jesus. It's not It's not a ghost or a deceased person. Um, but again, I think it, we're still dealing with the same thing, that there are people today who really believe that ghosts, that dead relatives are communicating with them. So why would that be any different then, I guess? Well, and, and then there's the fact that he actually did die. And so, of course, what else could it be? But 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 someone has come back from the dead and and he's a ghost. But then, of course, Jesus says, no, does a ghost have flesh and bones like you see right. that I have? And this is Jesus who, uh, unique in all of history uh, as God in human flesh, comes back with flesh and bones and says, here, touch my hands, touch my side, see this, this is, this is me. Billy, what do you hope people are going to get out of this book? Why, why should they even read it? You know, I think that that to me, the only reason I worked on this project is because I felt like I said God wanted me to work on it, wanted me to explore it. And I have to tell you, I was not necessarily walking in my walk the way I should have before this, which is why I was afraid to do it. You know, I did not feel equipped to do it. I wasn't waking up every day reading scripture, doing quiet time the way that I needed to. And so it was very much a journey for me as I dove into this that I was doing that every day and I have not stopped since. It's been the most edifying peaceful, which I know is a strange word to use when you're talking about this topic, experience that you could ever imagine uh, for me as the person writing it. But I walked away, and this is what I want people to take away, feeling like once you dive into evil in terms of understanding it, not actually diving into it, but once you sort of look at scripture and look at everything it has to say about Satan and evil it points us back to our need for Christ. It actually mm. points us back to why Jesus came. And that, to me, is the thing that's missing from Hollywood. It's missing from the way the world looks at this, obviously, is that this is a part of our faith. It's complex, but when we understand it, it actually makes our faith that much stronger. And that's my hope for the book. When we come back, uh, Billy has lots more to share with us about all of these things and ways that we may be opening ourselves up to dangerous influences. He's also gonna share the most shocking ghost story that he encountered during his writing process right after this. We're back with Billy Hallowell, and we're talking about ghosts and demons and exorcism in the spirit world. What a fascinating topic. Billy, here's the big question we all want to know. Based on your investigation, do you think it's possible for people to be possessed by demons today? The short, the short answer would be yes. Yes. I think it's, really? it's rare. Yeah. It, Does it me, only happen in third world countries where we don't have video? Uh, taping the whole thing, or can it happen here? And does it happen to believers, members of the family of faith, or only those who deny 
Christ. I'm sorry. Look That's three questions in one. Off. So go for it. And I love it. No, but they're all the they're all the right questions. There have been a number of cases. One in particular, which I will share about after I'm um, in Indiana, that happened here, where you know there's not a lot of video evidence, but there's a lot of corroboration from people who were involved in it. People who would have a lot to lose by lying. And so you know you do see that there is some evidence there for this happening today. But I I go back to the book of Acts, and there's a, a number of fascinating things, because again, for me, it's always going back to scripture, right? Did this end, you know, when Jesus resurrected? Was that the end of this? And we see a number of stories in scripture that tell us that, no, it was not the end of it. In fact, Paul spent a, a good amount of time uh, apparently performing what we would call exorcisms. And if you go to Acts 16, there is a slave woman who has a spirit, and it tells us this right in the text, a spirit that allows her to fortune tell. She can tell the future through this spirit that is in her. And she's following Paul around, and it's driving him crazy. And he finally, and I'm giving the Cliff Notes version here, but expels the, the demons from her, and her owners are angry because once he does that, she can no longer fortune tell. And that is a really interesting account because it it obviously happens after Jesus's resurrection, it's Paul doing it. And in Acts 19, the issue comes up again. Um, and so, so yes, I think scripturally there is a case to be made and there are people who will look at that and they will say, well, no, there are other explanations um, for why this is not still happening today. Uh, but one of the things I did, and we didn't talk about this before, but I felt like it was important to talk to mental health providers, right? Because this is an issue that you can have a lot of people who are saying that they're possessed when they might actually be dealing with a mental health crisis. How do you differentiate between the two? There's a lot there. You know, I find that, that often when I, when I watch commentators on CNN. I'm not sure I keep going back and forth between the two. But anyway, go, go ahead. Well, have you tried an exorcism through the television? I mean, have you <laughs> we, actually do have, we actually do have evidence on film. I forgot. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, but, but, you know, our producers are rolling questions. their eyes. This is all going to end up on the cutting room floor. Go ahead. <laughs> I, think, I think this is an important question that you had asked, you know, can a believer become possessed? And that was a question that I posed to an, a lot of people, Michael Brown, a number of the people who I was talking with for playing with fire. And the, the answer that I walked away with was no, that a true believer who was following Christ would not end up being in that state because, you know, the demonic wouldn't be able to live. The Holy Spirit wouldn't allow that to be in a believer alongside it. Uh, but, you know, if you believe that losing your salvation is a possibility, though, you might fall into a camp where you say, well, if somebody moves further and further away, and I'm not advocating this position, I'm saying it is a position that exists from their faith, that that would open up the opportunity at some point if they start engaging with things that would open the door for them to have that experience. So, but the short answer I think would be no on that, at least in, in my view. Billy, you talked about a particularly exciting ghost story. Can you share mm. that with us? The most shocking thing you encountered during this investigation process. Yeah, it goes back to a story that I actually covered when I was working at The Blaze, and this was back in about 2013, 2014. It involved a family in Gary, Indiana. It was a mother, her mother, and then three children. So a mom, a grandma, and three kids. And what is so unique about this story, and this goes back to what we were talking about before, 
that this actually was a story with a lot of documentation and it mm. happened again in Indiana, in America. So this was a story in which the mother was claiming that they were experiencing possession in their home. They moved into this house that they were renting and they immediately started having problems. I recount this in depth in the book, um, but all sorts of strange problems that then started manifesting themselves into control. She was fully controlled. The kids were fully controlled. Now, CPS, Child Services, ends up getting involved in this case because she takes her kids to the doctor and they start acting so erratic in the doctor's office that they call 911 and the ambulance comes. And the doctor is on record talking about this. And when I say on record, the Indianapolis Star, this is a legitimate newspaper that we all know of, they ran a story on this, a highly documented, well-documented story with sources. And so I had sort of covered that and that remained in my mind. So when I went to write the book, I thought, I want to talk to people involved in this case because let me tell you some of the things that apparently happened. They take those kids to the emergency room. CPS comes in, child services. There is a child services worker and a nurse, okay, who went on the record claims that while they were in the hospital, the little boy essentially walked up the side of the wall and did like a somersault of some sort and landed on his feet. There are so many details. I interviewed police officers involved, a priest who handled the case. And what was so remarkable, this is one of those stories, they all corroborated all of these things that were so bizarre that happened in this case that they saw and that they experienced. And I would add, that CPS worker, it had such a profound effect on her that she quit her job and left the state. Uh, right now, actually, of course, Hollywood is making a movie about this case. And so this is the next um, you know, movie that, but the real case has some fascinating details in it. So what does all this mean? Do you think that people should be worried about demonic forces in their life? Go back to Ephesians 6. If you are a Christian and you are living right, you need to be aware, and here's what you need to be aware of, not that you're going to be possessed. We are called, we're told that, that Satan shoots flaming arrows, flaming arrows of the evil one. That's what's referenced in Ephesians 6. The real issue really seems to be when you start to engage in sin or when you start to engage in things that would invite this sort of activity in, like an intentional inviting in. If you go back to the Old Testament, we are warned throughout Scripture do not engage with fortune tellers. Do not. I mean, these are things that we are that we are told throughout Scripture to avoid, and so we should be avoiding them, and we should be living living the walk the right way. I don't know if that answers your question, but I think we don't need to be petrified and afraid. We need to be focused on Christ. I agree with you. Greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. And I think that fear and worry are, first of all, it, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, and He tells us not to worry about anything, but to pray about everything and to trust God with everything, knowing that He has defeated His enemies and that He's working all things together for good for those who love Him. How can we discern the difference between someone who says that there's some sort of demonic activity going on and actually somebody who's mentally ill. How, how can you possibly navigate through that? Whenever you have somebody who's going to take somebody's word and immediately start only looking at a spiritual solution to something that they haven't investigated, that should give us pause. I cover, I cover a number of stories of people who have lost their lives in different countries and in different places because the assumption was they were possessed when maybe they were dealing with something else. And so um, the actions that have been taken to help, to help those people have actually ended their lives or hurt them. When somebody is dealing with a spiritual issue, 
that person reacts to the spiritual things you're trying to do to fix it. When they're dealing with a mental issue, they're not reacting to those things. This is not, by the way, what we see in movies with you know pea soup spewing out of people's mouth, their head spinning around, you know, a deliverance and or an exorcism, however you want to term it, this is a prayer. It's a, it's a ceremony, not even a ceremony. It's a, it's an act of prayer over that person. That person is actively a part of it. And so that's a lot of information to say you investigate because if you don't, you know, you really could be harming people. People today love to talk about spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. If Jesus said all power and authority, both in heaven and on earth, are given to me, well then how much power does that leave left for the devil? I say zero. What do you say? Yeah, I think the power is really the only power you give the devil. If you look at, I, I pulled out a couple of parts of Ephesians 6 here because I think it's interesting, you know, put on the full armor of God so you can take a stand against the devil's scheme. So we know the devil's going to try to scheme. He's going to try to do things. You know, what is putting on the full armor of God? I believe it's being a Christian, living a Christian life, living that walk. That's why I said I wouldn't, you don't have to fear that. Um, you know, then, then he goes on to say, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. My interpretation of this is that you can, if you choose to engage, hand power over to evil, but that, but that God has already won that battle. You have to willingly choose to say, I want to engage in this. I want this. And we do see there are people, I talk about one of the stories in the book, a Satanist, a woman who worships Satan, who um, really struggled because she wanted to do away with that relationship she had created with him. And she wanted to go through an exorcism. She felt she was being completely controlled, but she, but she also struggled with liking that, that power that she got. So do I think it's power that's equal to God? Not at all. God's already won. Christ already beat that at the cross. It's done that battle. We know how it it all ends, but I do think people can willingly engage in that and attempt to get something back, you know, you know, as part of that arrangement with evil. But again, my job is not to tell people what to think, but to, to say, look, let's look at these cases. Let's explore them and investigate them. I go back to Acts 16. I go back to that slave woman. Uh Clearly some arrangement was happening there, right? She had these spirits that were giving her this ability that people were using to profit off of. So that's sort of what I'm talking about there. I love what you said earlier that we always go back to the Bible as our plumb line for truth. That is our news source. That is our fact truth source that never lies. Okay, how about for those people who have somebody in their life and they want them to pray for them because they feel like they're under spiritual attack, like my marriage is under attack or my husband is under spiritual attack or my children are under attack. Now we know that because of Jesus' victory at the cross, if they're believers, Satan's attack has been subverted. It's been neutralized at the cross. So what's the best way we can pray for them? I always encourage people to pray for the whole person, everything they're going through, looking at people's lives holistically, um, even when they're only asking for prayer on that one thing, I have found for me that that's a really healthy way to approach this. How does the study of ghosts and demons and exorcisms and spiritual battle actually point us back to the gospel? Yeah, you know, it shows us, I believe, our need 
you know, for the gospel. You look at the descriptions of Satan, you know, throughout, and and it's really like in First Peter five eight, the devil's an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion. He's hatching schemes. That's in Ephesians. He is a tempter. We see that in Matthew and in First Thessalonians. I mean, all of these horrible things, all of the worst attributes that people could have, right? Um, those are the attributes ascribed to Satan and to evil. And so when we understand that, I think it points us right back to why we need Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. People are going to disagree on on all of these things. And I think that's okay. I actually think we need the freedom to disagree. And I love your pushback on that, right? Because if we don't have these conversations, we're not fully grasping and understanding all of this. If we never think about, well, who who is Satan? It points us back to really because we see that that negativity to who Jesus is and our need for him. And so that for me, like I said, personally was the most peaceful thing to really have that full picture of what the gospel is talking about. What is it we're being saved from, right? That, that to me is such a key piece of the puzzle. So if you're afraid of walking through graveyards in the middle of the night under a full moon. Get a hold of Billy's book. And remember what we learned today, that Jesus has all authority both in heaven and on earth. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And Satan may be like a lion, but remember his teeth have been ripped out. His head has been crushed at the cross. He's got a broken back and he's slinking off to the lake of fire, if not already slipping and falling in there already. If there's any battle for the believer, it's the battle of the mind. The Bible tells us that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what are we gonna choose to believe? The Bible says, for what a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So take heart, remember that Jesus has overcome the world and you don't need to be scared of ghosts or demons or anything like that. Just remember to keep your eye on the King of Kings. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.